0: Yo, what up everyone, this is the Twice Over Film Club where we watch a movie every week and I'm your host Faraz. This episode is our full discussion on Mank. We're no longer going to spend our episodes talking about the specific scores we gave. Instead, we encourage you to check out thetwiceover.com and see what the scores come out to based on how you prioritize the different elements. For example, this film can be as high as 79 if you prioritize the acting and as low as 69 if you prioritize the narrative. We hope to streamline the schedule further and we will keep you up to date on what we're watching on social media, which is at the Twice Over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as our website, thetwiceover.com itself. All right, let's move on to our discussion. All right, everyone, we got the entire team here today. It's myself, Yusuf, Farhan, and Fahad. What's up, y'all? Hey, guys. Yo. What's good? All right, so today we're discussing Mank. 2020 film it just came out on netflix on friday now i think it technically came out like a couple months ago on some like uh festivals because it kind of has to but anyway widely Mm. available for streaming on netflix now and uh it's a david fincher film it's kind of like his pet project he apparently had been working on this movie for a long time Mm. so the movie is about a hollywood writer Herman Mankiewicz, he's selected by Orson Welles to basically write what would become Citizen Kane. Yeah. All right. First question, actually. Have any of you guys seen Citizen Kane? I think I watched it with you for us.
1: Yes, but I don't remember much of it. I just remember it was about a newspaper man who was extremely wealthy. Um, Yeah, and that's it.
2: I haven't seen it, but I know a lot about it. And obviously, you know, for any, you know, film buffs like, you know, you would already know that it's often talked about as, Maybe the greatest movie of all time, right? Um, and it's back from the 1940s. So it has that kind of pedigree. And I don't know how you guys feel about that. But, it, yeah. it, you know, it certainly is in that conversation all the time.
3: It was on nobody's list. So I think that says <laughs> quite
2: a bit. But oh my god, um, yeah,
3: I, think, I think this movie is definitely for people who are huge fans of Citizen Kane. I think if you're going to watch this movie, you kind of have to watch Citizen Kane beforehand to get the full breadth of what they're trying to do in this movie.
1: Or as an alternative, people who are just fans of old Hollywood and how it operated. Right.
3: Sure. Yeah.
0: Like film history almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. But
3: I think honestly, specifically Citizen Kane, because there is a lot of this movie that is reminiscent of Citizen Kane.
0: Yeah. In terms of context and like understanding even the plot points, uh, it, you kind of have to have seen it. I have seen Citizen Kane a couple times. I watched it in a couple film classes. I don't know if I've ever watched it on my own farm. So if you did watch it, maybe it wasn't with me. I see. Uh, maybe not. Because I've only seen it in like a classroom setting. Okay. Um, I hate it. I, I really yeah, hate the me movie. me too. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: really don't understand how anyone thinks it's
0: not a boring movie. It definitely is a boring movie. So
1: getting yeah. back to Mank, a lot of the characters, um, as they were introduced, I actually paused the movie to look up their histories and their backgrounds because um, mm-hmm. I wasn't familiar at all with any of this right
2: mm. this movie is a historical in, in a lot of ways right, so I right. Think, yeah. I mean, it's
1: it's almost like a biopic right
2: there's a lot of times where I was remembering like social studies class and I don't know if you guys had that that same experience but when they mentioned William Randolph Hearst who is right. obviously if not named in Citizen Kane he is without a doubt the inspiration yeah. for for Charles Kane am I making up that name <laughs> Charles Foster Kane yeah, yeah uh, from Citizen Kane right so it's it uni- and he's, he's a real person so like it, it, we're almost going through like several layers watching this movie well, in fact um, so he's Fah- in the movie <laughs> he's in and he's movie. in the movie right yeah so fahad what did you did that enhance your experience at all
0: and I mean I think it oh it of had course to.
1: it did um but it also gave me the necessary context to appreciate the movie right I yeah. think without it I would have been lost.
0: So I mentioned that Citizen Kane was a very boring movie. And this is a movie about, like, I guess that being written. So I think that kind of tells you what I thought about this movie, too. I found yeah. it quite boring. Yeah. I would agree. I I kept thinking to
2: myself, and again, without having seen Citizen Kane, so I had a different experience than you guys, but I know a lot about it. I just kept thinking, like, is, like, the sheer subject matter of its of that movie's creation, is that interesting enough to carry its own film? And, like, I just, I, I, no. I mean... Yeah, the answer was no by the end of it. (laughs) So, I mean, especially on on plot, I I came in very low on this movie. 100%. I I felt like there was just – there was not – enough going on. And, and the movie felt very disconnected at a lot of times. And I don't think that was a mistake. I think that was very much intended by David Fincher. But mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with the approach. It's just it, it felt like we were flashing through different parts of um, Herman Mankiewicz's life. And, and we were, you know, you're getting all these different like kind of disconnected moments, which kind of fit together. I mean, obviously, it's one guy's life. So it fits together. But yeah, in some sense, but I don't know.
1: So there's a scene where Mankiewicz is like, if you're writing about a, a, a guy, you're you're not going to be able to give the essence of the guy's life through a movie. And that whole comment was self referential, right? Where. We're watching a movie about Mankowitz, and we're not gonna I'll
2: give you the exact quote it was uh the narrative is, and this is Mank talking right yeah. he says the narrative is one big circle like a cinnamon roll not a straight line pointing to the nearest exit you cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours all you can hope is to leave an impression of one this movie is two hours and 11 minutes if you cut out the credits it's probably mm-hmm. two hours and five minutes like that's yeah. like right on the on the head mm-hmm. but here's why here's why I say that
3: you kind of have to have seen Citizen Kane. If you loved Citizen Kane, you're going to love this movie. Why? They basically made Citizen Kane again. It's just <laughs> I don't know about that. Bro. exact. It's the same tone, same... So. Kind of structure in terms of plot. So when you guys think it jumps around, that's what Citizen Kane does. In fact, that's what most movies back in the day used to the do. Same transitions, same the transitions, same exact black and white, the same exact aesthetics. same thing. So they made yeah. Citizen Kane, and I don't, I don't know if that was the purpose, but that's how I felt watching it. I felt exactly as bored as I did watching Citizen <laughs>
1: Kane. As someone who liked the movie, what was engaging was the characters. They were all interesting, and that kept me engaged. It wasn't right, yeah, the fact that absolutely. it was. That it was mocking Citizen Kane or just trying to be match the aesthetics or whatever it was, I think that's just that's secondary.
2: Right. I think it's yeah worth saying that Citizen Kane is about you know this newspaper tycoon right William Randolph Hearst and he writes sensational news and all of that and you know the movie essentially comes down to you know what did he accomplish when he's sitting on his deathbed you know he wasn't able to despite his influence he wasn't able to buy love and he wasn't able to you know get that human connection despite all the power that he had and this movie is kind of taking that same viewpoint on on mank it's it's not necessarily coming to the same conclusion but it's looking at mank and saying what have you done you created citizen kane what how did you feel about it and what what effect did it have on you and that's Mm -hmm. kind of like what we're getting out of this so again it's self-referential in that way but it's very much a character study Oh, for sure. The character
0: study part is very true, and I think it's reflected in our scores, too. We rated the writing and the acting to be quite high. The essence of the characters, it's, it comes through in the writing specifically, mm-hmm. not so much uh, through the story itself. And uh, the acting, we also thought was pretty strong. Uh, Gary Oldman did a pretty good job. Amanda Seyfried? Seyfried. Yeah. Lily, Lily Collins. Collins, too. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. her character.
1: What about uh, Charles dances? as Ralph William Hurst. Hurst, the Lancaster? Yep. The Lancaster? Yeah, from Game of Thrones. A Lannister. The Lannister, Lannister. <laughs> yes, yes.
3: A Lancaster. Same Lancaster, Lancaster is, a, is an Amish town in
0: Pennsylvania.
1: Oh, is it? You would though. Yeah.
0: As far as overall suggestion of this movie, again, I think we made it very clear. If you have seen Citizen Kane, um, and if you enjoyed that movie, you probably will definitely enjoy this movie.
1: And the other thing is, besides Citizen Kane, I think you need to look into these individual characters and who they were um, before you watch this movie. Just just a little bit. Yeah, that would
0: probably enhance your enjoyment of the movie.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would necessarily recommend this widely, but... Uh, Guys, I'm desperate for new movies and this was on Netflix. It was sitting there right there to watch I I mean, I was gonna watch it one
0: way or the other not
3: a very hyped movie though. Even on Netflix I had to search for it. It wasn't it was not one of the it wasn't featured wasn't featured
0: go watch it on Netflix And if you have already seen it stick around because now we're gonna discuss it in a little more detail in terms of the highs and lows What we liked what we didn't see some of you later. Yep.
1: I like that. See some of you later
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert anyone if you're still listening Uh, Just know we're talking about the entire discussion.
1: Are you guys familiar with Aaron Sorkin's writing for movies like The West Wing and a couple of other TV shows and then The Social Network? We kind of talked
0: about this for The Social Network, too. Right. Yeah.
1: His his characters in his movies, they speak fast, right? Or his shows speak fast. This very much felt like that, right?
0: However, this was written by David Fincher's father. Right. Yeah. So this was
2: actually written back in david fincher's father died in 2003 so this was already pretty much written by then, apparently Uh um which i I find very interesting and i thought it's interesting that you mentioned aaron sorkin i mean you mentioned the social network which is another david fincher film aaron sorkin's not involved here but like it it kind of carried that same vibe right and i don't yeah i'm i'm kind of wondering now like your experience watching social network what parts of that came from fincher and what parts came from sorkin uh but there's certainly some carryover here right
1: yeah for sure and then um I recently read that Sorkin gave this movie his seal of approval, right? Ah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that was interesting to me. Because I, I felt that influence, and then I had to look it up, like, who wrote this and everything like that. But he didn't write it. It seems like he wa- Fincher was influenced by it, or his father was. Mm-hmm.
2: It, it, and it also seems like Fincher probably, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't play as heavy of a hand as he normally does in kind of controlling you know, the actual output, I guess. I think he stayed truer to the script than he typically does and that might be just because you know it's it's a movie that his father put together his late father Mm -hmm. um you kind of there's some there's some emotional component there right you're not gonna you're not gonna tweak as much as you might otherwise so i I kind of i kind of read that later and i thought that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah so with fincher movies it's all it's always about like revealing information right and here it's almost like you're revealing different sides to these characters they start off being, like, two-dimensional, and then you learn different things about them, right? In Citizen Kane, it was about a wealthy man who stays largely two-dimensional. It's about his mistress, who we don't get any humanization for. Uh, whereas here, we meet the actual character, um, who's played by Amanda Seafried, and we get her to say that, you know, she loves, she loves William Hurst, and, you know, it's not just like this um, gold digger that's going after him. With, that's the impression we get from Citizen Kane, so it's it, it is interesting to me.
2: It's a bit of like a rewriting of that yeah. same subject matter, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting, and another layer to that is the fact that I mean, this pretty much paints Citizen Kane as an act of revenge, like the writing oh, of that movie, right? Almost like um,
1: it's a hit piece, right?
2: Yeah, and, and, and I mean it, it doesn't they don't hide that at all. They're they're very open about it. I don't I don't think that was unknown but you know it i guess herman Mankwitz may have been just a little bit forgotten in all of this um you know after the fact and mm-hmm. you know he's he's certainly he's credited in the movie but even that was a point of, of controversy that he yeah right he wasn't supposed to get a credit on this movie and he fought for it in the end
1: in this movie right in Mank, we get the sense of why um Mekowitz wants to write this movie the screenplay right talking about a rich guy holed up in his mansion and everything like that as a hit piece uh, but what's Orson Welles motivation to write this
3: what was
2: his motivation
3: yeah to carry this you mean out mean in, in this movie In this movie in
1: real general? life right in general
2: let's talk about who Orson Welles was for a second he's someone that at, at least at the point of his career that were introduced to him in this movie he was never involved in you know in filmmaking or anything like that previous right um he had a radio anthology series right and everyone knows most famously the war of the worlds uh, adaptation that he did right i don't know if you guys oh, that was recalled him, huh? that okay so, I mean, he, he did an adaptation of The War of the Worlds, and it, you know, basically it it pretended to be, like, kind of just like a music show, and then there was, like, uh, news bulletin break-ins in between, and that was kind of the style he went for to recreate The War of the Worlds. Uh, unfortunately, on the radio, if you didn't tune in from the very beginning, you didn't hear the disclaimer that this was an adaptation, and uh, mm-hmm. people were panicking, thinking there was uh, an yeah. alien invasion going on, and that they were, you know, experiencing it in real time. Um, so that's kind of like a, a claim to fame of his, among others. But, you know, he comes in, and he, he gets mank on board to make this movie with him because this is going to be his his first piece and for some reason he has like absolute authority over this movie like you know there's going to be no oversight his final cut is going to be what goes
0: yeah it's also because i think this kind of gets into the overall hollywood dynamic back then right where you had a handful of studios paramount warner brothers mgm and then you had this the the one that orson welles is working with and and Mm-hmm. We see how at MGM, Paramount, Warner Brothers, whatever, everything is so curated and edited. And, you know, it's all about what the executives at these studios think will sell, will get people to the theater. And then we have Orson Welles, who has complete authority as a creative to make whatever he wants. And he goes out and gets a writer that he thinks will help him achieve that, which would be Herman Mankiewicz, because Herman Mankiewicz never truly fit in with the with the uh, standard uh, status quo mm. Hollywood studio types. Like he, he always was a little off, right? He was a little different, and that's kind of what. It, it, it brings him closer to Hearst because Hearst like, likes the way he talks, so he wants him to be around and invites him over despite their ha- them having clear differences. Now, I don't know how true all of this is. This is just from the perspective that we get in this movie. These guys have very differing viewpoints, but just because it's different is like why Hearst likes to have him around. I, I, I think that's,
2: that's exactly right. Um, and so, at least from the standpoint, of, I want to get back to what Fahad asked right? Like, in terms of what, Mank was doing in making this movie, I think like there's clear motivations, right? In terms of what Orson Welles was doing, I think it's more so that he just wanted his his you know his his break into that world, and he chose yeah. a guy that had ability but was pretty much washed up, right? Uh, you know,
0: and, well not and he, maybe not washed up, but more like uh, blacklisted because he's I don't know, like I, he's just he's too out there, like his stuff is not getting accepted because it's not uh it's not following a template, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's why Orson Welles would have reached out to him in the first place.
1: So Orson didn't have this motivation to as an outsider to just shit all over Hollywood power structure.
0: Maybe he did. I don't know, but we don't get that. <laughs> we don't really get that from the movie. Yeah. Cause Orson Welles is so sparsely,
2: you know, in this movie, yeah. we get some like uh phone calls and then only really like one or two scenes where he's actually there.
0: So it's a little bit tough to figure out what he was, what his involvement really was. One part that I actually did enjoy was I liked the two timelines and it kind of jumped back and forth quite uh, hectically sometimes, but uh, it was very uh, standard old school, right? Fade out, fade in yeah. transitions. Um, With the
1: uh, bold lettering, the type re- lettering to yeah, tell yeah, you yeah. Where and you
0: the, are. the typewriter too, just uh, indicating the setting. I really enjoyed like the 1930s Hollywood scenes, uh, seeing like Mankowitz work in that, uh, in the studios, seeing like his relationships back then. Uh, those, those were very enjoyable versus like you know, obviously the current timeline where he's uh, he's simply he's hobbled, he's in laying a in bed, ranch, yeah, hold up, yeah. writing a uh, writing the the script. One particular story that I. I looked up even after I watched this movie was, that was the 1934 governor's race. Mm. Uh, I thought that was a pretty solid backdrop. Again, I don't know how true any of, I mean, the race stuff, the actual governor's race, seemed to be all pretty well represented. Uh, but in terms of, you know, Mankiewicz and his, uh, his, his sympathies uh, towards uh, him, uh, Sinclair, right? Towards Upton Sinclair yeah. versus uh, like what the MGM or the studio executives were doing. I'm not sure how like true that dynamic was, but that was like one element of the story, the narration, or the narrative that I actually enjoyed because everything else was boring as hell. That was the only thing that actually had some excitement to it. Did you Did you enjoy it because it reads on present day very well? Exactly. Yeah. Like it's it's uh, is relevant to today's world, and I mean, obviously, I would say it's been relevant ever since. Uh, 1934. <laughs> so it it's just something that we deal with and live with every day and uh, it's it's just nice to see it presented actually pretty well in this movie. Like it's not like really in your face, but
1: mm-hmm. so it's 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 the idea that Hollywood controls what gets made and something that's too politically controversial. Well it's doesn't not just made that made. it's
0: Hollywood specifically, but like people with control and power. I think we have that one scene mm-hmm. with um uh, Marion Davies, right? Marion Davies is talking at that party and she kind of blurts out that um,
1: William Hurst picks out the yeah president's William Hurst cabinet. is basically
0: picking hand picking the cabinet for FDR akin
1: to like the Hollywood process the Hollywood casting process right yeah
0: exactly like like he's casting like for a movie like that yeah. and um you, he kind of gives her that look like you know that's too much information and you get the idea like hey these people with control and power you know they have quite a say in stuff outside of their their realm, which is, you know, making movies. They're they're very much involved in the average person's day-to-day life outside of that through mainly politics. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I think this is also, again, it's a self-reflection on, on Citizen Kane in a lot of ways because uh, something that was said about that movie, um, there was actually a famous journalist, I think, at the time that basically, or not at the time, but, you know, after the fact, has said that that was probably one of the earliest examples of you know, mass media manipulation of public opinion through film. You know, you have basically media figures that are are being portrayed in a specific way, and that kind of changed the entire viewpoint of those people um, in real life. Um, so, Citizen Kane has been has been said to be that, and and you you get to see in this movie those same people are actually doing the same thing to the public in the movie. Does that make any sense? <laughs> basically. Yeah, no. You know, so basically to say that Herman Mankiewicz saw them manipulating people and then he used media to manipulate people's opinion of those people. So he kind of used their own tool against them in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, like in
0: the movie, what's the example for that governor's race that they have like these fake newsreels or these interviews with actors that come off as like a real newsreel and they played at uh, theaters. Uh, that year and it kind of you know changes people's perspective on who is supporting who i mean specifically the ones that they show us is you know a black dude he's supporting upton sinclair and then this dude with a russian accent is supporting upton sinclair because you know communism and then um all these other you know older white people that uh, a society back in 1930s would more likely sympathize with at least the population would and uh they're, they're voting for the uh, the GOP candidate, Frank, Frank Miriam. But yeah, exactly, Yusuf. He basically, he also kind of feels, um, at least the uh, impression we get from the movie is that uh, Mankowitz is the one who gives that idea to that executive at MGM. He's like, hey, you can make people believe that King Kong is 30 feet tall or uh, one other reference from some movie. And then he thinks that maybe that's what got like triggered in the executive's brain. Like, hey, we can make them believe that they're watching the news here when we record this stuff. Interesting. I didn't think about that. So he thinks he's a little bit responsible. Like Mink was, he kind of refers to it saying like, it's my fault. When he's right. talking to Shelley, that dude who ends up killing himself because he has Parkinson's and he uh, he's I think may may have been a Sinclair supporter, but took the job to direct something big to move up in Hollywood. Right. So he makes those fake propaganda films of you know interviews with with
2: uh you know supposed citizens who are voting for for Upton Sinclair, right? Um, mm-hmm. and so and he ends up yeah he ends up committing suicide and obviously. Uh, Mank holds a lot of uh, of guilt for that, um, so yeah, maybe, maybe that's what, so exactly what what uh, Fahad was saying earlier about this, you know, Citizen Kane being a hit job. That's kind of and it it was it was a direct result of how he felt about kind of the responsibility of media and how it was being misused. Um, and he kind of he kind of used that tool against the people that he he felt were were you know in power and misusing it. Um, I think that's that's really interesting. It, you know, it's impossible to watch you know, those scenes and not think about, you know, present day and what's going on with, you know, people's opinions on, you know, whatever, fake news, media manipulation and all of that. And I mean, there was even a line in the movie where, and I can't remember who says it. I think it might have been Manku pretty much says that, you know, when you go into theaters, you have people sitting in the dark, willingly checking their disbelief at the door. Um, and that is, you know, obviously a reference to people going into theaters and wanting to, you know suspend their beliefs. But it's also a figurative reference, to just the, the way people are operating and the way that they consume media. Right. Um, I thought that was that was super interesting. So, I mean, I, don't, I, I I assume David Fincher, you know, definitely intended this to read on present day. Um, and it really did
0: really well. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, those are some of the themes that I think um, I picked up. I th-
3: all of the, everything that you guys are saying, I kind of agree. And I, I can see after hearing it. Here's the issue with my issue with this movie is that it was so damn boring that I was completely out of it after like 40 minutes. I couldn't get into all, all of this and I wish I could.
0: Well, Farn, I'm surprised that uh, I thought you would really appreciate the writing here because the writing I thought was pretty writing strong. Was, writing
3: was strong. I get writing and acting were my strongest scores. And I, I mean, the writing itself is not enough to keep you in a movie, though. I thought the mm-hmm. writing was appropriate for the time it being a timepiece, and it, the acting was appropriate for the time as well, and the acting was good because it executed the writing very well. But, and I don't think that this movie is meant, It's this movie is not meant f- to be engaging for everybody. I really don't think it is.
1: I don't think so it either, unless you know these characters, these people in real life. Um, or unless so, you know the
3: background. Right. And unless you know Citizen Kane, the movie itself, and the way that that movie, the tone of that movie throughout.
1: So you get a semblance of what the story is going to be about only 40 minutes after 40 minutes into the movie at the birthday scene, right? Mm-hmm. Every scene prior to that, you're getting portraits of characters who you don't know if they're going to be important later. So it's hard to keep track of, like, everyone. What's the birthday scene? The birthday scene, Um, it's it's MGM, the head of MGM, Mayer's birthday. They're in William they're Hurst. At house? They're at his house. Mankiewicz is there. He's, like, the court jester, and they're talking about, like hitler and upton sinclair and just the state of hollywood and stuff like that
2: right and 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 hearst is very much like ha this is why i like having uh right. you know mank around the right contrarian and it, right and so it, it, i think yeah that scene was was very interesting that's the same scene where then amanda seyfried uh or sorry marion davies accidentally mentions you know the amount of influence that hearst has right mm-hmm. and then kind of runs out of the room right um <laughs> Yeah, I mean those scenes were were interesting, and so just talking about the writing overall, there were like bits of dialogue that I found like exceedingly clever. Um, scenes like scenes like that, scenes where they were, you know, again making reference to. Citizen Kane or present day. Um, I found those really interesting. Yeah. But I just I didn't feel like uh, even though the, the dialogue was very true to the times and the style, I just it didn't it didn't carry my attention the entire time. Again, like I just
0: I saw it and I was like, OK, I see what they're going for. But I can't watch two hours of this. Yeah. I should mention so like, you're like me, Farhan and Fahad were either 85 or 80 at this. Right. But you said gave it a 55 for writing I, writing. I, yeah because i i just felt like although i
2: could appreciate moments i i couldn't I couldn't stay engaged by, and I didn't feel like I was learning something with with a lot of the the exchanges. Uh There was a lot of like, uh, you know, in that style of that day where they're talking really fast and like, "Hey, boss, and he's like, yeah, well, and then they say something like super clever, and it's like, oh, like you know, there's like quick like the witty exchanges that aren't really witty, but like to the people in the 1940s, they're like cracking up over how clever, you know, like there was a lot of moments like that, and so very good for the style. Um, Not so much for the
0: substance for me. Okay. Interesting. So, like, for me, the writing was the only thing that kept me engaged. Like, I thought it was, like you said, witty and clever. And it was interesting enough that, like, it's the only thing and unpredictable in a way that it's what kept me engaged. Like, I want to know, like, when's the next time Manquois is going to blurt out into, like, a monologue and say some, like, some stuff that he shouldn't say. Mm, It's it's what kept me engaged in the movie because... Man, the story here is very boring. I think I maybe would have been more engaged in the writing if I,
2: again, knew who these historical figures are and then knew how Hearst was... Depicted in Citizen Kane to a high degree, then I could see what this movie was trying to show me wasn't the case, you know. But I, I didn't have, I, I, wasn't sharp enough on those moments to go through with the fine-tooth comb and see, like, oh, they're showing actually, like, dissonance from the portrayal in Citizen Kane over here or something like that. I wasn't able to pick those out as much. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm.
3: Who
1: is the villain in this movie? There's no villain, right? I'd argue there's no villain. Mank
2: is his own villain. Dude. Yeah, yeah. You think so? I, I
0: mean, I thought. I don't.
3: So I, what i mean to say is, I don't think that. I don't think that. Or
0: Hollywood itself.
3: (laughs) Hollywood itself, maybe? Yeah, like they didn't vilify Willie Hurst the way that Mank intended to vilify him in Citizen Kane.
1: Because even when he's supposed to feel anger at Mank for um, upsetting his guests and with that long diatribe, um, he acts calmly. He just has that parable about that, what, the monkey's grinder? The monkey grinder? Organ organ grinder's grinder's monkey. monkey. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Mank, I don't know if he understood it at that time because he's drunk, but you know he obviously is seething after that. After he understood the uh, the reference and everything and their relationship,
0: and can you explain the reference to me? Because I was thinking about it. Who's the, who's the man following the monkey in this? So uh, Mank is
1: the monkey who's uh, compelled to dance for the man. Like yeah.
0: You know, so who's the man supposed to be? The man so is supposed to be Hearst.
1: The,
2: the man would be Hearst or Hollywood, oh, right? Oh, and and so okay, okay. essentially what he's saying is that you know Mank. As the organ grinder's monkey, he is walking in front of the man playing the music behind him, and he thinks he's in charge. But really, yeah. he's just the the entertainment, uh, you know, the court jester, right? Um, yep, and yep. so he he doesn't realize that he is under control. Instead, he thinks he's the one in control. So yep. <laughs> you know that that was very. <laughs> That's a very uh, stark uh, uh, awakening for, for Mank. And so, you know, that, I think that, that did lay out the, the motivations very clearly. But yeah, maybe it didn't make Hearst into quite the villain. Uh, and especially if you're thinking about how he's portrayed in Citizen Kane, it does kind of, it, it, it takes the sheen off of Citizen Kane because it makes him less of a horrible person as he would be portrayed there. Yeah,
1: I just wish that scene with the, uh, that whole scene we just discussed, I th- I wish it was earlier in the movie so we get the sense of what their relationship is. There's a reason for putting it in that movie so late. Yeah, exactly. Exactly where they put it. Because they're always hinting the at their relationship is, but... and then it, that scene finally solidifies it that, you know. They don't Mm. like each other. Maybe at one point they did.
2: It's fakeness too, right? I mean, there's a lot of fakeness. And we talked about fakeness already as a theme. But like, you know, it's even in those interpersonal relationships. It's like, you know, he just, he didn't realize what his place was. Um, Like a lot of people in this movie, he didn't realize.
0: Yeah. And if anything, like I was going to say Hollywood itself being the villain is because everyone who we meet is more or less not really happy in what they're doing, right? Like they don't feel like they're uh, achieving anything, at least yeah, no, that's Executive true. Executive level yeah. down.
3: This is the anti-Kane, huh? This movie is kind of like the anti-Kane.
0: The anti-Kane. <laughs> uh, I think that's yeah, that's
2: true. It also reminded me of. Have you guys seen The Room or The Disaster Artist? Either of those movies, no. or both?
0: I've seen The Room, not The Disaster Artist. Is basically about The Room.
2: Yeah, so it's a Disaster Artist is a movie about the making of the movie The Room. Um, yeah. So it's it's a very similar parallel here, except that movie, uh, <laughs> you know, diametric opposite to Citizen Kane the room was con- is considered to be one of the worst movies <laughs> of all time and that's why that subject matter was interesting so <laughs> and it's a very odd comparison because uh, that movie's a comedy right uh, you know James Franco' like great in that but it's you know quite an obvious comparison to me I just I thought that was that if you look at the differences between the ways that they they went about the two movies I think it's it's super interesting to kind of compare and contrast. Um, And I guess part of that is just due to the fact that one is considered a masterpiece and one is considered, you know, anything but that. Um, But it's just it's 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 cool to see how they how they went about it. And obviously, David Fincher, you know, he took a very careful, uh, steady hand. I think the the aesthetics were just we didn't talk about this in detail yet, but like that was kind of awesome in terms of kind of trying to. Pay homage or homage to that uh, time period and that movie. I don't know if you guys like really appreciated that. I think I, I, I kind of got sick of it at some point. The
1: the aesthetics from visual standpoint as well as the score. I think the score is great in this movie. Uh, the music kicks in and uh, with with a little bit of jazz and the right scenes and it's not yeah it's used perfectly in my opinion.
0: I, I didn't really notice the score too much, yeah. but I, I don't I didn't have a problem with it I guess. But man, I I don't like the the visual choice of like. Blaine black and white that looks like it's from like filmed on a potato. What'd you guys think think
1: about the editing? Because I loved it, especially in the in the scenes where they're talking. It's distracting. What? I loved it. it. It's distracting to me. How they're cutting around the room (laughs) in the birthday scene? Everyone speaking. Yeah, and like they're
0: they're very specifically choosing to like um also like some of those cuts they're choosing to make it look like, you know, it was uneven. Like it kind of comes into frame unevenly and then it sets. I don't know if you noticed that a couple. No, times. No, I didn't notice. I thought it. it was distracting. Yeah, I think I was already bored enough by that time.
1: You just feel like an observer in the room, with like getting everyone's perspective. Oh, yeah.
0: that was like classic Fincher. I know what you're talking about. Like the conversations between like five different people, and just zooming back and forth between the faces. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, not zooming, because it's 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 just shots. Not zooming,
0: yeah. yes, but just shots, yeah. But still, I know what you're like. That's like your classic Fincher, you know, involving you into the conversation. Like, you're in the middle of it, not on the wall.
1: But the classic Fincher has the camera move a lot more. Here, it's like steady shots, because I guess the limitations of that period. He wants to keep that camera as steady as it would be in that Mm. time period.
2: He, that's another self-reference kind of where i, th- I think it's hausman but i'm not sure somebody who's talking about the the script that mank has put together keeps pointing out that like you know there's such a shifting point of view in this movie um and so they do that visually here and i don't know if we get it in terms of characters that much because i think we're pretty much focused on mank the whole time right but mm-hmm. like there's kind of like some stylistic uh parallels there otherwise there's also like You know, just let's talk Mm -hmm. about like the the way that the sound came across. You know, there's like this like muffle to the voices and they like carry in like such a distinct fashion where, like, you know, it's like that old timey feel. um, Mm -hmm. But like it it was just it was cool to see because like it's like, you know, Lily Collins or whoever, it's like very contemporary Actors and actresses, you know, when their voice carries across like that, like, I mean, they they did a very fine job of recreating that, that same effect from like the old timey movies, the superficial. Did you guys see like the I don't know if they're like cigarette burns or like, just those like those spots on the on the film. Right. Um, oh, yeah. So like oh, they're it, called it, it, something. Yeah. Th- those were those were I mean, they, they were throughout the movie where they just kind of like put in those like spots
0: like it, it was actual like every 20 you know, minutes or something. They're yeah, called like cue marks, yeah. They're right. supposed to, like, I don't know, indicate like when one reel is ending, one is yeah. starting or something.
2: Yeah. yeah, or like just like, I don't know, these like little circular like spots or whatever. I mean, it's just very classic of like what you imagine watching an actual, you know, old film, film would be, right?
0: Yeah, but see, that's distracting when I know the movies from 2020
2: a completely digital film that was released straight to netflix like right uh i don't think that added anything other than oh look there's a cool effect
3: exactly it it, did nothing and it's easy to do right that's not hard difficult to do
2: you you get a moment where you're like oh that's cool they're kind of recreating that and then then you have to watch it for the whole movie it's kind of like well i I didn't get anything additional by watching it for this long (laughs) they took an
3: instagram filter (laughs) <laughs> and they made it the entire movie that's what they did wow they made david the whole fincher. movie color and everything and wow. all they did in the editing was put a freaking instagram filter
2: on that's all they did
1: you know for movies you don't like you tend to be extremely reductive
2: <laughs> that's true
0: that is true <laughs> it's a good observation yeah
2: i mean you just called david fincher uh, basically the same as you know some some teenage girl on instagram yeah dude. Um, so i hope he doesn't hear that one
3: i just don't i mean i think that they were i don't want to say that they were i'm not going to say that they were lazy but i don't think that there's anything in here aesthetically that it's all impressive. Yeah,
2: I think I think I liked the overall style, but yeah, like it didn't. It's nothing that's going to carry my attention, and so yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's weird. I, I kind of like was like okay, yeah, that's cool, and then that was like about it. Uh, also, I found it like really hard. I don't know if you guys felt this. Uh, I found it really hard to follow the order of like which scenes happened where and you know when. Um, I think as a movie that's
3: reminiscent of movies in that time period
2: of Citizen Kane right and so they they use those they use those slug lines to kind of cue you like I I don't know if you guys noticed but like yeah when 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 that when that print comes on the screen before like a flashback or something, it literally says in parentheses like it's a flashback. So like, they tell you yeah. exactly what year it is and when it's happening. Uh, even then, I found it kind of like distracting. And then yeah, eventually I think as the movie went on, I was like okay, I think I'm following the general order. But I, I, yeah, I didn't I didn't love it. But yeah, again, that's something that they're kind of pulling from from the old styles.
3: And I think that part of the reason that they're doing that is can they kind of want people to study this movie like people study the shit out of Citizen Kane. They want people to. Know- <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I said I know 100 we all know it's not going to happen but that's what they want they wanted to they want to keep some things probably a little bit ambiguous and they want things to be a little bit confusing so you have to watch it again.
2: And it's supposed to be a little bit like um, I don't even want to say highbrow, but it's supposed to be kind of like that right where it's like this is meant for a particular audience that knows the background and knows the richness of that time period and uh, you know appreciates old Hollywood which I just I do not like I, I don't I, I hate movies <laughs> that like harp on like how amazing Hollywood is and like just focus on like the making of a movie um, I, I get kind of bored uh, but like that's exactly what they're going for. many even says it he says um in that same conversation Fahad right where he's talking mm-hmm. about the cinnamon roll and like how the you know he's basically saying that we can't boil this person's life down to one moment right so it's going to be kind of roundabout and so he and says that do you remember what
1: roll. he says as he's exiting he's like aim lower
2: aim lower. <laughs> yeah so it's yeah. like it's literally saying you want to dumb this down and then yeah. obviously that it, there's a refusal to do that right right uh but even before that he says yeah hausman says, warns him he says you know you're asking a lot of motion picture audience again a cue that like you know this is meant for the the more aware and the more you know in-depth watchers and he says you know all in all it's it's a bit of a jumble a hodgepodge of talky episodes a collection of fragments that leap around in time like mexican jumping beans the the story is so scattered i'm afraid one will need a roadmap um yeah hmm. i felt that
1: <laughs> so right i mean movies if if you're to deem a movie to be successful it's it's that the movie understands its audience and i think fincher does understand his yeah, audience right yeah. it's <laughs> this movie isn't going to be marketed widely to everyone and i think With the decision to film it in this way, with the black and white and everything else, it does cut out the viewers who wouldn't enjoy it already, right? So they wouldn't be watching this movie in the first place.
0: So I think if you go on any website right now, Uh you'll probably see a different score for like this critic score and the audience score. Yeah,
3: 100%. But
0: at the twiceover.com, you can get both depending on how you order the elements. So if you're feeling like a critic, you'll be like, oh yeah, this movie, I agree with it. It seems good but if you feel like you know more for a general watch it's pretty weak and i would say for a movie like citizen kane like yusuf said it's like a textbook like it's used or no far you said it right it's used to study a lot um Mm -hmm. that's not a good thing if like a movie is like the textbook version of creativity it's not creative it may have been impressive for the time but like if when we watch it nowadays we're like this is so basic right like Symbolism in Citizen Kane, like Rosebud, it's like surface level, most basic definition of what it could be. Like the like nowadays, movies are so much more complex.
3: I just think that there's something about the people who make the movie. So, i.e., probably like Orson Welles, and when there's a reputation behind you, then. Somehow, some stuff like that you touch, everything's just going to be incredible.
0: Yeah, it carries weight. I think that, and that's actually even referenced in this movie itself, right? Like the reputation of the people in Hollywood. Yeah, it, it matters a lot, yeah. and that's why you have a lot of these people having to kind of give up. I guess you could say integrity. Uh, to to just make it a little further. I mean, it, like happens, in their it happens nowadays. I mean, it happens nowadays. It's something that's still obviously relevant to today's world. There's big
3: directors who come out with uh, with movies that people are always going to go watch, and whether it sucks or not, they're going to say that they loved it. You're talking about Christopher
2: Nolan. <laughs> um, no. You could, you could say it about a lot of people, actually. I mean, I, 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 I feel this way about Martin Scorsese at times, and I it, it, it's not even so yeah. much like... We don't even need to list names. It's just like when you're in love with the director, you tend to forgive a lot of their faults, right? For um, sure. That's that's like human nature, right? So. So yeah. Cameron Crowe was my fav- like favorite director of all time, right?
1: What's his weakest movie in your opinion?
2: Probably the one
3: that I uh, we bought a zoo.
1: Okay, and you still adored it? No. Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> even though it is classic Cameron Crowe, I watched it and it was cringeworthy. It was cringeworthy because I was a Cameron Crowe fad- uh, fanboy, and so I think mm-hmm. a lot of
0: pay too much attention to like who's behind the movie rather than the right. substance of the movie exactly
1: so fincher let's talk let's get back to mink so fincher's reputation is about uh, it's creating suspenseful movies right mm-hmm. and this very much isn't it's a character study how do you think his audience his his fans will respond to that
2: probably probably not well you know it's probably not going to be received in the in the best way because people like to you know box in directors like I mean you just expect a certain thing out of him and he's doing something different that he hasn't done before but that's not going to please the same audience that has been so pleased with his previous movies right maybe it hits with another audience mm-hmm. uh, maybe there's some overlap but you know it's it's going to have a different reaction because people are going to say to a degree you know do what you're good at and he doesn't want to do that he wants to do something else that means something to him um, I think that's totally valid right um, but it's going to get a mixed reaction for sure
0: yeah wow he hasn't done a movie since Gone Girl
2: in 2014 mm. he's done commercials but though yeah.
1: right he's i know he does that a little bit on the side
2: oh he did Mine hunter for netflix oh, okay how did you guys feel about the the acting overall oh i loved it yeah
1: it, yeah i gave it a score of what 90 i think um yeah none of the performances were flawed at all i think amanda Seafried was one of the better characters one of the better actors i, I should say um Gary oldman is brilliant as usual he can he's a chameleon right he can play almost anyone at any moment in their lives at any age
0: yeah, I was gonna he say played a pretty pretty great alcoholic yeah and and, just and drunk all the time you know just a
2: note he's playing a 30 a something year old guy he's what 60 70 mm-hmm. um, and it, it doesn't feel that age inappropriate um you know you certainly yeah. notice it I think but I think that's also a purposeful sh- choice because he You're right, he's playing an alcoholic. He's playing like a washed-up and tired version of Herman Mankiewicz. Um, So portraying him kind of as that older man, it shows kind of the toll that's, you know hollywood has had on him it's kind of an insult to the real mank in a way um but it, it's it's again in a similar fashion to the way that citizen kane is an insult uh, on its subject uh you know william hurst so and you know it's it, it obviously i think it takes a different ending than, than citizen kane did but i think there's there's a little bit of a or a harsher light being put on on the subject um similar to those similar to citizen kane i think i i totally agree with you fahad on, on amanda seafree too mm-hmm. it's like she needed to be in this movie a black and white movie with like such little color she like she adds the color to this movie it, there's so many stiff suits you know very male centric cast um her and lily collins were were badly needed here uh just to add a little bit of you know lightness to it
1: they really shine in this movie the female characters um and it, i guess it's because they stand out so much from the the rest of the, the background i guess
2: yeah for us, you said that like your favorite scenes were the the ones in old hollywood and all that i think my favorite scenes were the ones where uh mank is in bed and you know you just get that banter between lily collins and him <laughs> i think i i loved those scenes uh more than anything so my
1: favorite scene in this movie it's at the gop convention it's that montage like the party where like everything's going wrong he's losing his bet that Sinclair will pull it out right and the numbers are going the other way and he's he has this depressed look on his face and yeah that was one of my favorite scenes of this
0: yeah I kind of like how that scene ended too where he just starts dancing with his wife yeah poor Sarah.
2: All right. So, I mean, let's close on just, you know, doing the comparison with Citizen Kane, the, the, the emblematic scene of that movie, right? It, I, think it, I think it opens with, uh, you know, Hearst on his deathbed and kind of utters his last word, which is rosebud. And nobody knows what that means. They go on a journey to try and figure it out. They never do. But the audience gets to see in the final moment of the movie that it's actually the sled that he had with, when he was a kid, right? Something of an indication that through all his power, he wasn't able to kind of uh, you know he had no compassionate connection. He had he wasn't able to to buy love with all of his power, right? What do you think this movie's trying to say about Mank in a similar way? Uh, this movie ends with him kind of getting his credit on on the on the script, right? For for Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. um, is he happy? I mean, he was all washed up. What 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 are we supposed to take away for his character? That he
1: led a very bitter life, I should say, embattled. I guess because he he was always the smartest guy in the room and the one who always wanted to fight the status the establishment quote. i guess the status quo yeah and it's a bittersweet ending right he gets his credit but then he never writes again
3: i think part of it is that the the fight against something that's bigger and you can't fight against is is futile i think the movie shows that a lot so his character the fact that he he's just but is there fut-
1: futility is there futility in something there's meaning in fighting against something right i think Mank gets a very high sense True. of satisfaction from doing what he did for writing the screenplay. Um, it's just that everything else uh, took him down. His alcoholism, his um, mm. the fact that he didn't have many friends, his right, that he burned a lot of bridges.
2: Yeah, mm. So he got some satisfaction, but he didn't really change anything in the end. I think that's probably pretty yeah, accurate sure uh her I, I remember i read that hearst um in all of his newspapers he banned the mention of citizen kane whatsoever in all of his newspapers after the movie came out mm. um so you know the the real mank uh did kind of get some he got in he got in hurt's head at least right so yeah i think he, he probably learned to stand up for himself a little bit and he, he got something out of it for sure all right cool. cool i don't know if you guys are gonna go see this but um they do say in the movie we need to get people in theaters how are we going to do that? Play movies in the streets. That's what they said.
1: Oh. Um, okay. that,
2: that is a message for COVID times, Hundo.
1: <laughs> so, what does that mean? Yeah. Play movies in the streets.
2: Uh, I think I think Mank was saying, uh, how are we going to get people in the theaters?" He said, play movies in the streets and they'll run inside the theater to get away from it. Oh, okay. I think that was just some, some fun. Again, that's like a clever yeah. line, I guess.
0: Yeah, it was a good quip. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thanks for listening to this production of The Twice Over. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with a friend. Want to see what your tally is? Check out thetwiceover.com. All the movies we've done are listed there, as well as what we're watching for the current week. Follow us at The Twice Over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can leave us any suggestions, feedback, or comments. And if you're about it, you can also support us on Patreon.